Oh, praise God. How are you guys doing? Do you like who you're sitting next to? How was their voice during worship? No, I'm joking. It's an amazing privilege to be here. That word was very accurate. Thank you. I'll share in a second why. But it, yeah, I love Harvest, Pastor George, the whole leadership team. It's incredible to be here. I honor what God's doing in the church and through you guys. Stacy, I actually, I felt a word for you. I, I would guess that you have the gift of admin because you were doing the emails with me. So that's not a prophetic word, it's a guess. But I felt like God was saying, you have much more on your life than the gift of admin. That there is people that are called specifically to admin. That's an amazing gift and the church really needs it. And we honor it a lot because I'm terrible at admin. So I really love people that are good at admin. I feel like God was saying there's also a teaching gift on your life. He's going to use you for much more than just admin. So, yeah. And it's amazing to be here. My sister's here, which is incredible. She is vegan. We're still working on that part of it. But during ministry time, I'm believing for, you know, God to break in. But she's incredible. She's a part of Hillside Church. She's a worship leader up there on the hill. And she's amazing. And it's amazing what God's doing right throughout Durban, actually. She started a home group with young adults with six people. And now it's too big for a home group, basically. Like 50 people rocked up now. So God is moving right throughout Durban. If you don't know anything about me, I live in Germany at the moment, right on the border where France and Switzerland meet, actually. So it's like a 10-minute drive to France, 10-minute drive to Switzerland. Sometimes I drive into Switzerland just to get coffee in the morning, which is pretty cool. Um, it's incredible to live there. I'm a part of Awakening Europe. And essentially, Awakening Europe, if you don't know anything about it, it was birthed by a man, a man named Ben Fitzgerald and Todd White. They were standing on a field in Nuremberg, Germany, where Hitler would commission his youth armies. And they were standing there and a tour guide was showing them around and Todd and Ben at the same time standing on this field, they saw a prophetic vision in their mind of thousands of people coming together to this field of all different ages, all different races. And they would be set on fire in the field then go back across Europe essentially. And Todd turned to Ben and said, I just saw this vision and Ben said, I saw the same thing in my mind. And that's where the vision was birthed. But how many of you know getting a vision is one thing, but doing something with it is a much harder job. So suddenly Ben feels from God to rent the stadium that's on that ground, which is a soccer stadium that seats like 35,000 people. The problem is Ben lives in America at the time. He has no influence in Germany. Nobody knows who he is. And he has no money. And stadiums aren't cheap. And God says, make the, the tickets for the stadiums only 100 rand a person, basically, which is nothing. It's a four-day event. We fly bands and speakers in from all over the world. So it's much more expensive than that. But long story short, after a year, 27,000 people showed up and over 1.6 million euros came in. And since then, we've done events in Prague, Stockholm, Latvia, and we have one coming up in Vienna in June, actually. And the cool thing about your word, you said the, multi, the multi-purpose, I can't remember the exact wording, but something like that. And we're actually planning something in 2020 where we do one event in Amsterdam, but then all the attendees go to over 20 nations around Europe. There's confirmation for your word, which is always nice. So it's really exciting what God's doing. The one very unique thing about our events is that everybody goes onto the streets. So it's not just a conference. The whole stadium goes out and preaches the gospel. So you can imagine in some of these cities like Stockholm, which is very atheistic, suddenly you have 15,000 people going out at once to share the gospel. It's not like a potential outreach session. We literally close the stadium for the main sessions 
and everybody has to go and share the gospel and pray for the sick. Because we believe every Christian is called to preach the gospel and heal the sick. And that's actually my role within Awakening is overseeing the outreach, just sending everybody out, equipping them and where they go, etc. So it's amazing. And if any of you ever want to come, our next one's in Vienna, June 13th. Anyone's welcome. But it's amazing to be back in South Africa. I love this nation. I grew up in, in Neisner. I know it's a hard place to live. But it's amazing to be back. And I believe God is doing something so special in South Africa. I get to travel all around the world, but there's a special faith that comes into my heart for this nation. It's one of the nations I believe that God is moving in very profoundly. He's moving everywhere. But I believe that in one day this nation could be changed with how God is setting things up throughout the church. But let's start off with reading a Bible verse, because then even if I preach badly, you still got a Bible verse. Amen? If you have your iPhone or iPad or Bible, you can turn to John 13. If you have a Samsung, keep it in your pocket. This is a holy place. Amen? John 13. We're going to start in verse 34 in just a second. I love this passage right here because it's, it's Jesus, which is God in the flesh, speaking with his 12 disciples. The one thing that's awesome to remember about the disciples is that actually most scholars believe they were teenagers, except for John, who was 21. So John's the oldest at 21. When you read it through that perspective, you kind of understand the disciples a bit more. Some of the questions they're asking, they're a bit slow. They leave Jesus at the well to go and find food. You're like, yeah, that's teenage boys in John chapter 4. So here we have in John 13, Jesus calls them in, and many of us would know throughout the Bible that there's the teaching of love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? We've all heard that. The, the good thing about that is if you don't love yourself, that's really easy, right? Like if you don't love yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself is pretty easy to do. So what Jesus does here is he calls his disciples in and he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And all the disciples are kind of like, Jesus, that's not new, we know as we love ourselves. But he, he doesn't say that. He says, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then, essentially, he's saying this because it's before the cross. He's saying, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. And then that's going to be the standard of how you love the world. And suddenly it's like, what? That's a whole different ball game. That now I'm called to love, lay my life down for people instead of love them how I love myself. And it's brand new to the disciples. And Jesus carries on going, and I don't know about you, but if I was a teenager, or even now, and I knew Jesus, God in the flesh, everybody would know that I knew Jesus, right? If I was God's 12 best friends, all my friends would know, right? Like, people, I'd introduce myself as the one that's friends with Jesus. My Facebook profile picture would be me and Jesus. My Instagram bio would be the one that is friends with Jesus. Everywhere I met, I'm friends with Jesus. Jesus was at my house. I'm friends with God in the flesh. No big deal, right? We name dropping. And you can almost imagine these 12 disciples are probably in that boat. So this is what Jesus says to them. He calls them in and he says this. By this, all will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. And it's almost as if Jesus calls them in and he says, guys, listen, you've been telling everyone that you're my disciple. You've been telling everyone you're in a relationship with me. But what about if your life spoke louder? What about if people saw your love and they said, you're a disciple of Jesus? He's basically saying to them, it's more about the love that you have, how you lay your life down, than what you say with your mouth. And that's what I want to talk about today a little bit, because 
I believe God is calling us from just believing in Him to living like Him, to living love. But first, if you'll just pray with me. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We thank you that we can gather here in your name. We thank you that your word says where two or more are gathered, you are there in their midst. That we don't have to come here to, to just hear about you, but we get to come here to be with you. We get to come and be touched by you to leave here differently today. And we thank you that nobody here is too far from God. That you love us just where we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. See, even people that came in here today that you might feel far from God, God loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you where you're at. Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. A few years ago, we were doing an event in Prague in the Czech Republic. And if any of you have been to Prague, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. If not, I mean in Europe, if not the world. It's incredible. Beautiful statues, beautiful cobble roads. And uh, the best part about Prague to me is these pastries we found. It was like, it's hard to explain with words, it was that good. It was like a fried croissant with ice cream, chocolate sauce, and strawberries in the middle. We raise a hallelujah, amen? I feel like that song could have been written after having one of these. But it was, but it was one of those desserts where you eat it, it changes your life, and then you feel sick. Has anyone been there? It's like that sick where you're like, I can never have another one of those. Sounds like my mom. My mom's always like, I can never eat another slice of chocolate cake until she has another slice of chocolate cake. But I was like, I can never have another one of these, but I know tonight I'll want another one. So I said to my team of, of awakening, we were there, we were like, we'll come back tonight because in five or six hours I'll be ready for round two. So five or six hours later we start walking and it's, it's dark now in downtown Prague and we're walking around. And there's a group of five or six of us, and, and our whole team likes to share the gospel. It's a culture we've made. Not everyone would be an evangelist. But how many of you know, not every Christian is an evangelist, but every Christian is called to be a soul winner. A lot of times people say, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not called to share the gospel. If somebody says to me, I'm not an evangelist, my reply is, okay, you don't get the mic to teach about evangelism. What I mean is Ephesians 6 says he gave the evangelist to equip the saints in how to evangelize. So it's like, if you're an evangelist, okay, you don't get a mic to teach on evangelism. But every Christian is called to win souls. Amen? Okay, some of you aren't sure, but that's okay. Every Christian is called to win souls, even if you aren't an evangelist. And so we're walking, and this guy starts to approach us in downtown Prague. And it's kind of like, who's going to speak to him? You know, we're all like excited because he's approaching us. And the guy says, hey, do you, he, he comes to me and he says, hey, do you want drugs? And I was like... You know, like when you're like a little bit offended, you're like, why is he asking me, do I look like, no, I don't want drugs, but Jesus loves you so much. And he's like, amen, brother, Jesus loves you too, God bless. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, it's very rare you find me speechless. I was like, okay, God bless, brother. Walked away and kind of like shocked by this and somebody else approached us. It's like, hey, do you want a prostitute? And I'm like, God, what is happening? <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want to prostitute, but Jesus loves you. He's like, I'm a Christian, I know. And I'm like, what? So now I'm walking and I'm starting to think, I'm like, what is happening? And we spoke to probably 10 or 15 people within an hour, and all of them were offering either some sort of bar, drinking experience, prostitute, or drugs. And every one of them we shared Jesus with, they said similar things. I'm a Christian, or I know Jesus loves me, I have a relationship with God. And not just that, because then I would start to bring up Scripture with them, and most of them knew more of the Bible than me. So they're quoting Scripture back. I'm like, this is not how it's supposed to go. 
So we keep talking. I'm speaking to this one gentleman who's saying he's a Christian. And while we're engaging in conversation, a 14 or 15-year-old boy runs away from the school tour group, comes to the man in front of me and buys heroin and runs back to his tour group. And the same person that's selling this kid, who's destroying this kid's life, essentially, is telling me that he's a believer in Jesus, he's a Christian, and he knows the Bible. So I'm talking to them, and nothing's really getting through. And eventually, this one question pops into my mind. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this question to ask him. And I said to him, do you see your friend over there who you told me is an atheist who's also selling drugs? He said, yeah, that's my friend. He's an atheist. I said, okay, what's the difference between your life and his life? And it was the only question all night that one of them didn't have an answer to. Because his life looked just like that atheist's life, except he believed in God. And I left that night and I left that experience saying to God, God, I want to know what true Christianity actually is. I left that experience saying, God, can there be a Christian? Because they believe in God, right? Believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. So I started having all these questions. Are they Christians? Or, or what makes somebody a Christian? I grew up in church. I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy Christianity. Christianity was a little bit of a burden for me because I lived like the world except I felt bad about it and I had to give up my Sunday morning. None of you have ever been there, I'm sure. But that was my experience of Christianity. Now I start asking, what does it mean to actually be a Christian? Is it just believing in God? Do I need to read my Bible? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to raise my hands and worship? Is the highest level of Christianity Wednesday night prayer meeting? Because very few people reach that standard, right? Wednesday night prayer meeting. But I started asking God, what does it actually mean to be a believer? And I started looking at my life. And an amazing passage on this is James 2. James 2, actually many scholars have fought to take James 2 out of the Bible. That sounds ridiculous, but people actually try to take it out of the Bible, the whole chapter, because it messed with their theology so much. I don't know how you do that. It would be very awkward if James 2 was just missing, right? We'd be Googling what James 2 says. But that's what they did. And James 2 says this. James 2.19. If you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. So now I'm like, okay, God, I know demons aren't Christians. Right? Demons aren't Christians, but they believe in God. So I'm like, okay, it has to be more than just believing in God. Else demons would be saved. And I'm not preaching demons are saved. Please hear the end part. But then he goes on in verse 19, he says this. If you, verse 17, sorry, he says, Thus also faith by itself without works is dead. And that's the key verse right there, that if you believe in Jesus, but your life doesn't start to look like Jesus' life, that's when the faith is dead. So that's what he's saying Christianity is. It's more than just believing in God. It's a lifestyle that comes from that. Faith without works is dead. So that means if I have faith in Jesus, I begin to live like Jesus. Else it's dead faith because it's not leading to anything. Are you with me? So I'm not saying you work for salvation. But I'm saying once you save and you believe it, your life starts to look different. There has to be something that comes out of it. It's more than just attending church. See, for me, I didn't understand Christianity, so I didn't enjoy it. Christianity to me was a burden, like I said. And, and in that place, I would never share the gospel with anyone. Why would I want to share the gospel? Think about it. Like, why would I walk up to someone and say, hey, Jesus loves you so much? They're like, okay, why should I become a Christian? 
while you can live the rest of your life in shame and condemnation and give up your Sunday morning. Right? See, most of us don't want to share the gospel because we forget how much of a privilege it is to be a Christian. If we were honest, we forget the privilege that it is to actually share the gospel. There's a stat that says over 90% of people that are brought to church are brought by someone that's been saved for less than a year. Because when you first encounter Jesus, you realize how much of a privilege it is to know him. You realize how much of a privilege it is to wake up right with him every day. And you want to invite other people into you, into that relationship. Nobody even has to convince you to share the gospel, right? When people first get saved. And I think yeah, the church is coming back to that. Hear me out. But it has to all start with the foundation of righteousness. It all is birthed out of right standing with God. Because the Bible says this. So many people would say, I'm shy, so I don't share the gospel, right? Or I'm not called to share the gospel. Or here's my favorite. I'm called to relational discipleship. <laughs> That's my favorite. My question is, how can you do discipleship without relationship? <laughs> many of you didn't get that. But it's hard to disciple someone if you don't know them. And like the only type of discipleship is relational discipleship. But many people say that I'm not called to share the gospel, I'm not bold. Proverbs 28.1 says this, that the righteous are as bold as lions. Which means that boldness comes from an understanding of righteousness, not a personality type. People are not bold until, the, until, until they speak about something they're passionate about. Right? People are like, oh, I'm not bold. When they're speaking about the blue bulls at home, I'm like, you look pretty bold. Or complain about the blue bulls when they're losing all the time. Amen? But when we understand righteousness, we want to share the gospel with people. The righteous are as bold as lions. And even when I started realizing what is Christianity, the other day uh, an article came out by the Barna Institution who does like statistics for churches around the world. And this is what they So they interviewed thousands of millennial Christians. And 47% of millennial Christians believe it's wrong to share one's faith or personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes they'll one day share the same faith. Christianity is built around sharing your faith. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, make converts. Bring them to me. And then 50% of millennial Christians are saying it's wrong to even share your faith. That's why the, we have to ask the question of what does it actually mean to be a Christian? And for me, because I didn't understand righteousness, I didn't understand Christianity. And I'll read a verse that shows what I'm saying, and it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Are you guys with me? Yes. Are you good? Yes. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Well, if you weren't, you can't leave. Lock the doors. 2 Corinthians 5.21. So before I read the verse, we have to remember that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. So he took on the likeness of sinful flesh, the Bible says. He was God, but he chose to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. But he, and he was tempted in every way. So we know he was 100% God and 100% man because the Bible says that God cannot be tempted. But it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, which is a pretty weird thought to think about. Every temptation you've experienced, Jesus experienced. Isn't that crazy? But he never gave in to any of the temptations, so it was never sin. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
He was the only one that came in flesh that never once sinned. Are you with me? So this 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So it's saying God made Jesus on the cross become sin. So it wasn't just Jesus that was dying on the cross, but it was actually sin that was being crucified because God made him become sin. So then it goes on to say that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So essentially it's saying this, that, God, that Jesus became sin on the cross so that we could take his right standing with God. He took our sin, we took his right standing. Righteousness just means right standing with God. So the question is this, how did Jesus become sin on the cross? Did he need to sin to become sin? Not a trick question, no, he didn't. The Bible says God made him become sin. He didn't have to sin to become sin. So why do we believe that we have to act right with God to become right with God? God makes you right with God. It's a gift. See, you can't earn right standing with God, which is really good news. Religion says you have to work to be right with God. Relationship is you're already right with God. See, nothing you can do can make you right with God. I'm sorry. Coming to church today didn't make you right with God. Because the church didn't die for you. Which that sounds intense, but it's really good news. And religious people struggle with this because it's like, no, I have to work. It's like your two options are 613 laws and 10 commandments every day, or you receive righteousness from God. There's no other option. See, nothing you do makes you right with God. Nothing you do makes God love you more. Only thing you come to Him and you receive the free gift, you receive salvation. There has to be the process of wanting salvation. Then you're made instantly right with God. Then you wake up free every morning. You wake up righteous every morning. And when we come back to that place, suddenly we want to share the gospel again. Because the righteous are as bold as lions. We realize the privilege that it is to be a Christian. And when I realized that I was right with God without my work, suddenly I wanted to share the gospel. Suddenly I wanted to tell people about Jesus. But many times, like I said, in the beginning we want to do it, but why do we lose it over time? Why over time do we become less passionate with sharing the gospel? And I'm going to use the story out of Numbers 11. You don't have to turn there. It's hard to find. I've got an iPad. It's easier to find. Numbers 11. So we all know the story of Israel is in captivity in Egypt. Essentially, if you haven't heard it, basically Israel is taken as slaves. They're beaten every day. They're whipped. If you've seen the movies, what's the movie? Prince of something. There's a movie. They get whipped every day. They get beaten. They're basically building. They're, they're slaves. And then this crazy story happens of Moses frees them out of Egypt. The Red Sea opens. Millions of people go across. The Red Sea closes. Lots of people get washed away in the sea. And then they go in, in, into the desert and suddenly... I love Israel. They make me laugh a lot, to be honest, in the desert. Every day, this huge cloud of fire shows up. Every night, huge cloud of fire. During the day, a huge cloud leads them. And they still complain and say, God, where are you? I'm like, number one, you walk through walls of water, right? You walk through a sea that parted. And you're still like, Moses, where's your God that led us out here? And then you see a huge, imagine fire in the sky. God, where are you? Huge fire. But yeah, that's a whole other story. So they go out there and they're like, God, you let it. They, they literally say to Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Moses says, no food. 
Like if God can open the sea, he can give you food. So then Moses is like, okay, you'll get croissants from heaven every morning. Imagine where, yeah. So every morning they wake up, there's fresh croissants outside. Imagine that. And he's like, God is so good. This is the goodness of God. He's like, you can have as much croissants as you want. Just don't take any for tomorrow because it's freshly baked tomorrow morning. There's more croissants outside. Sounds like heaven, right? So they wake up every morning. There's croissants and there's quail. And they're pounding this croissants. And years go by. This really peculiar verse shows up in Numbers 11. So in Numbers 11 verse 5, the Israelites come to Moses again to complain. No surprise there. They say, Moses, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. First point, they weren't eating anything freely in Egypt. They were slaves. So they're like, remember the fish which we ate freely? He's like, I'm like, what? You you never ate anything for free. And then it shows their desperation. We remember the cucumbers. I'm like, what? (laughs) Chanel likes that. All the vegans are like, amen. It It gets worse. We remember the melons. I'm like, okay, melons are fine. The leeks. I'm like, who misses leeks? The onions and the garlic. They're like, Moses, we rare. That that garlic in Egypt? We miss that garlic and the leeks. I'm like, surely there was better food than garlic and leeks. But, and and then he says, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except manna before our eyes. How did something that once gave them life, sustained life, and actually provided life for them, suddenly they're complaining about. And I would say it's because they lost perspective of the gift of God in their life. They became familiar with the gift of God. They became familiar with the bread of life that was feeding them and giving them life every day. And I feel like sometimes in the church we can be like that with Jesus who's the bread of life. It's no longer that amazing gift that somehow supernaturally shows up. Suddenly it's just, oh, again, I woke up right with God. It's just manna again. So I'd say this, that we can't lose perspective or become familiar with the gift of God. We do the same thing sometimes, but if we can remember the gift of God, if we can remember the fact that you get to wake up right with God and you couldn't do that by yourself, that you used to wake up in shame and condemnation and you wake up free, suddenly you want to share the gospel. It's a natural overflow of relationship with God. We should be wanting to do it. And so Christianity is being right with God and living from that place. The overflow of already being right with God. But it's not just believing, it's, it's believing that leads to a lifestyle. It says those who believe these signs will follow them. Not those who are an evangelist, those who believe. So if you believe in God, the signs that can follow you, healing the sick, casting out demons, drinking any deadly thing, Starbucks, and you will survive. Amen? But it's, it's the lifestyle. And, and I feel like God is simplifying Christianity. People always come to me like, your messages are so simple. I'm like, thank you so much. Because in 2 Corinthians, it says that Paul says, I worry you'd be deceived from the simplicity of the gospel. That how simple it actually is. And I feel like Jesus is bringing back the simplicity of the gospel. Like, I meet so many Christians that are called to the nations. Or like called to change the world. And I'm like, amen, you probably are called to change the world. But what are you doing right now? See, 
God, look, everybody I know that's changing nations was changing next door neighbors and neighborhoods before anybody knew who they were. So if you call to the nations, but you aren't touching your next door neighbor, I'm like, God's not going to give you 10 talents if you aren't doing anything with one. So if you call to the nations, touch your next door neighbor and your neighborhood. Ask, what are you going to do in the nations? I thought that was good. Thank you. Like, sometimes we think we're going to walk onto the plane, get this mad encounter, and walk off a changed person. I wish. I've been on hundreds of flights. Hasn't happened yet. If you aren't preaching here, you aren't going to preach there. Right? So if you can touch your next door neighbors and your neighborhoods, God can give you more. But you have to start where you are. See, I see a generation that our calling has become an idol. If I'm real, what I mean by that is this, I see a generation that are more concerned about their calling than they are about being with God. That we've lost perspective that even in the morning when I'm spending time with God, subconsciously it's so that He'll make my calling take place. And we miss what it's actually about. We miss the best part, which is just being with God. See, if you're more hungry for your calling than you are for intimacy with God, then your calling has become an idol. If you're more hungry for the resources and significance your calling unlocks, then being with God, your calling has become an idol. See, I see a generation with amazing callings, they don't know how to get there. Like, I'm called to change nations. So I'm like, okay, so what are you doing right now? If you can take next door neighbors now, he'll give you nations. And if you want to read more about that, Matthew 25 is a great place to go. But I think God is simplifying what Christianity is. So many of us in a nation like this, it's like, God, how can I make a difference? There's so much need around me. I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but I'm like, God, there's so much need around. There's so much that needs to happen. How can, I make, how can little me make a difference, right? And I want to read this, this passage out of Acts chapter 8. Because I believe that God's answer to South Africa is Christ in each one of us. I really believe that with all my heart. That Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's answer to South Africa. The prayers of God touch our nation, you the answer to that. He's chosen to move through his people. He won't do it without us. He's chosen for you and I to be his hands and feet. So he's going to use you to fulfill the prayers of South African Christians, honestly. And I believe something has to change in South Africa because the amount of people that say they're Christians doesn't line up with the statistics of our nation. So something has to change. That's why I believe this message is so important of what does it mean to actually be a Christian. In Acts chapter 8, there's a guy chilling in his room one morning, and essentially this happens. Imagine if you were in your room, in your quiet time, reading your Joyce Myers devotional next to the cup with the scripture. That's you, right? You're reading your, you're reading your book, and suddenly the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, I want you to get up and walk to Peter Maritzburg. Now, if that was me, this would be my response. Chanel would say, how was your day? I'd be like, good, the Holy Spirit started to speak to me about transition. Started. Started. In the future, I'm waiting on more information before I go. Right? Because essentially this guy, an angel shows up and says, hey, walk south along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm in Acts 8.26. And it says, this is desert. So for some reason, the three words, this is desert. They want you to know he's called to walk 100 kilometers. I looked it up. And I think Peter Maritzburg is roughly 100 kilometers. I did my research after the first service. And he says, walk, this is, this is the desert. Doesn't say anything else. Doesn't say why he's going. See, now, if, if this guy 
If his calling is an idol, he doesn't walk on the road. Because he's called to see nations change. He's not called to walk on a dirt road. Right? He's called to see government change. He's called to see the finances in nations change. He's not called to walk on a dirt road. The craziest thing about the story is he gets up and he starts to walk. So now he's just walking on a dirt road in the desert, doesn't have a backpack, doesn't know how much food to bring, doesn't know how much clothes to bring. He doesn't even know why he's going. He's just walking. I looked it up. It would take you two days walking 18 hours a day to get to where he had to go in the desert. I don't like hiking at the best of times. You end where you started and you do no cardio. So imagine walking and not knowing why you're walking. He's just walking. Like two or three hours in, I'd be like, okay, God, I feel like I've been pretty obedient. Right? Like I've been walking. I don't know why I'm walking, but I think it's time to head back. You haven't said anything else yet. We don't know how long he's walking for, but he's walking on the desert. And to cut the long story short, basically what happens is he has an encounter with a man who ends up being second in charge of the nation of Ethiopia. And a whole nation, he gets saved, and a whole nation gets the gospel. So I'm like, him walking south on a road, a whole nation got Jesus. See, but if he sat at home and said, I'm not called to walk on dirt roads, he would have missed the calling on his life. Your number one calling in your life before anything else is simple obedience to the Holy Spirit. The road to our destiny never looks like we think it's going to look. Because then we have to be reliant on Him. If He was chilling at home, you're like, how are you going to change nations? I guarantee you last on His, on his list would have been, I'm going to walk south on a dirt road. And Ethiopia is going to be saved and a whole nation is going to hear about Jesus. Right? See, but if he doesn't just be simply obedient to what God is saying, he misses out. So God is calling each one of us back to simple obedience. Before you call to do anything else, you call to be a Christian, which means Christ-like, right? So before anything else, before I'm called to preach, I'm called to be a Christian out there. Before anyone's called to lead worship, we're called to be Christians out there. That's the lifestyle. That's what we call, each one of us is called to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And and not each one of us is called to a pulpit. I love people that are impacting their sphere of society. Recently, I was at a person called Tori Kelly's concert. I don't know if you've heard about it. She's a secular artist. She's signed by the same person as Justin Bieber, completely secular artist. But she's a very strong Christian. And I was in her, in her um, meetings, in her concerts, and there's thousands of people there that are all singing worship songs, and they don't even know they're singing worship songs. I'm serious. Like literally 10,000 people singing worship songs. And she's like, yo, I wrote that to God. See, what I love about that is she's lived a pure life. She was a virgin when she got married. She's lived with God, but she isn't going around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm called to the church. She's in the world, living the real Christian life, impacting people that we can't impact in the church. So I'm not saying quit your job and do full-time ministry. I'm saying you're called to do full-time ministry in your job. I can't go into the surgeon's office and preach the gospel, but if you work there, you can. If you're in schools, you're impacting the next generation, which I can't get to. So wherever you're called, live Christianity there. But you have to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable. We all know the story, if you've been in church, of when Peter walks on water, right? Crazy story. They're in the boat, the waves are coming, and this ghost appears on the water. Ghost. They're like, oh, it's a ghost. Jesus is like, no, it's me, the Son of Man. That's how I, I, Do you picture Jesus having a deep voice? I do. <laughs> Rocks up with his long hair like we've seen in the pictures. 
And he's like, it's the son of man. So Peter's like, okay, well, if it's really you, call me out onto the water. I believe that day that any one of the disciples could have walked on water. But only one was hungry enough to say, if it's you, call me out. What I've noticed is what you're expecting for with God often happens. Realistically, what you want to see with God, what do you want to see God do in your workplace? If you want to see God heal people through you, suddenly you'll see he starts telling you to heal people. It's very interesting how he works because you start paying attention to what he's saying to you. Like many of us, we'll go through a whole day without saying to God, do you want me to say anything to anyone around me? And it's not because he's not speaking, we just haven't turned our heart to him in a public place. Like I guarantee you if you walked through a mall and said, God, who do you want me to speak to? There's no way he'll say no one. I don't want you to speak to anyone. You're called to be shy. <laughs> right? If we were real. It's just because we just don't give him that second of saying, okay, God, who do you want me to speak to? Just that simple thing of let me be a blessing to someone. Pay for the person's coffee behind you and, and then say Jesus loves you. You can do very simple things like that to touch people. So Peter's like, if it's you, call me onto the water. Jesus is like, okay, come. So Peter gets out of the boat. Many of us want to walk on water. Many of us want to be used by God, but we aren't willing to get out of the boat. So many people sit in the boat, God, I want to walk on the water. I want to heal the sick. You have to pray for the sick. That, that's just a good example. If you want to heal the sick, you have to pray for the sick. It's very hard to walk on water from in the boat. Good word, Dylan. I brought my own encouragement. I'm good. But you see, Jesus won't push you out of the boat. Peter doesn't get pushed out of the boat. He has to make a choice to step out of the boat into the unknown, into the water, into an uncomfortable position. How many of you know the Holy Spirit in the Bible is referred to as the comforter? You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. I'll try this side. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. You just don't need one. It's like he's called the helper. You don't need a helper if you never need help. That was very profound. Right? You know what I mean? It's like, if you never need help, he does, you don't need the Holy Spirit, really. I'm just, if we're real, people are always like, I went through a hard time. I felt so close to the Holy Spirit. I'm like, yeah, because you needed him in that moment. But what if you lived a life where you're constantly putting yourselves in positions where he had to be with you? Like, not he's always with you, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like, he had to show up for you. So, Peter, you have to put yourself in positions where you look ridiculous if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. Peter looks so stupid if, if he falls into the water. They were just scared because of the storm, and Peter steps and bang into the water. It's like, Peter, what are you doing? No wonder you deny Jesus. Get up. Back in the boat. But... See, we have to be putting ourselves in positions where we look ridiculous if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. Because God wants to use each one of us, but are we willing to step into a position where He can actually use us? Are we willing to say to our colleague, hey, can I pray for you? You're going through a hard time. Something as small as that can feel uncomfortable, but that's when God can begin to move. Maybe just going over to your next-door neighbor and speaking to them. See, you can pray for your next-door neighbor to be saved, but until you begin to speak to them, not much will happen. But if we can say, God, I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I want to be used by you. I believe we can begin to see a nation changed. Daniel, can you jump up on keys? I feel more anointed when you do that. You're laughing now. Wait till the keys start. (laughs) 
I'm going to, I'm allowed three closes. I'm an evangelist. My first close will be out of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 is written in a time where John got the opportunity to spend three years with Jesus. Pretty wild opportunity, right? He's the one that said, I'm the one that Jesus loves. He got to lay his head on Jesus' chest. Pretty rad experience living with Jesus for three years. I don't know if I would have wanted to be one of the 12 or just watch the 12 interact with Jesus. Because Jesus is pretty savage at certain points. This is what I mean. Imagine if God in the universe looked at you and was like, how long shall I waste my time with you, you perverse generation? I would be hurt. If my friend is rude to me, I'm like, I'm hurt. Imagine God was like, how long shall I waste my time with you? But John gets to actually live with Jesus. By the time he's writing 1 John, it's about 70 years since Jesus died on the cross. Now you can imagine that you would have seen a lot in those 70 years, right? Now if you've been at church for any time at all, you've probably heard a lot of different doctrines. You've seen different lifestyles. You've seen different teachings. Imagine John. He's like, I lived with God. That's not what he taught. I saw Jesus' lifestyle. That's not what he taught. That's right. That's wrong. He could tell it all. And after 70 years, scholars believe John's about 90 to 100 years old. And he's too old to go to the churches any longer. So he writes one final letter to the whole church abroad before he passes away. And it's almost as if before he goes, he just summarizes the gospel one last time. And I love this verse in 1 John 2, verse 6. John says this, He who says he abides in Jesus ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He who says he abides in Jesus, some translations say, should live just as he lives. And I love that because it brings the standard back of what is Christianity? It's to live just as Jesus lived. It's not to wait here to go to heaven one day. It's not to wait here to one day escape. But it's to live as Jesus lived. How you read him living, you get to live like that in this world. You get to bring heaven to earth now. You get to see nations change through simple obedience. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's answer to your neighborhood, to your nation. You are the answer. Christ in you is the answer. No one's discounted. No one's discredited. You don't need five years of training. If you save and you know him, you, you're in the army. No one joins God's army to watch the war. You're in the game. What if through your life you saw healings every day? Wouldn't that be fun? Isn't that enjoyable? It's actually fun. It's, it's not boring Christianity. You can see people healed every day. If you believe, these signs will follow you. Casting out demons, healing the sick. That's each one of you. Can you guys stand with me? It's so simple, Jesus. We love you. And because we love by you, we want to love the world. It's all about his love for you first. It's all about what he did for you. We live from a place of righteousness. We live from a place of being loved. When you're overwhelmed by God's love, it's easy to share the gospel. God, we love you. God, we don't want to become familiar with the free gift of being right with you. God, we thank you that we get to wake up right with you every day. That we get to wake up in relationship with you every day. God, we ask that through simple obedience, we begin to see nations changed, Father. That we, we, we repent for complicating it, for making it difficult, for sitting back and saying, I can't do anything, it's too big. God, we come back to just simply obeying your small voice, God. 
that, that our callings wouldn't be a, an idol in our life, God, that our number one priority would just be obeying your voice. I just want everyone to close their eyes. I don't want to go any further without just giving somebody an opportunity to receive Jesus. Maybe you came here this morning and you don't know God or you've walked away from Him. I'm not speaking to the Christians, but if you've walked away from God and, and you're living in sin or, or you've never accepted Him, I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive Him. The Bible says there's only one way to God. Not all roads lead to God. Jesus is the only road that leads to God. You must come through Jesus. You must receive salvation and right standing with God through Jesus. And if that's you, and you know that if you died tonight, your life wouldn't be right with Jesus, that you don't have relationship with God, I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive Him and to make your life brand new. You can wake up, you can leave here tomorrow free. Leave here today free. If that's you in this room right now and you want to give your life to God, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up right now. Is there anybody in this room that needs to give their life to God? Just shoot your hand up right now. There's one at the back. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. We love you. Okay, you can put your hand down. The person who put their hand up, just come up and speak to one of the leadership team at the end. Come up and receive prayer even from me. We'd love to pray with you. God, we thank you for everything you've done here this morning. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe if God is speaking to you, I'm not trying to get the altar packed up here. I want people that God is really speaking to, that he's convicted you, that he said, hey, I want you to step out of the boat again. Maybe you're saying, God, I've been living in my comfort zone. I want more than this. I want to step out. If that's you, and I just want to pray for you, basically. It's your choice. It's the choice we have to continually surrender. But I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the grace to step out again. I know this is humbling sometimes because maybe you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive. But today the Holy Spirit is like, hey, step out again. You've got comfortable. Step out. I want to use you. There's no age that's too old to be used by God. There's no age that's too young to be used by God. So that's you right now and you really feel it on your heart. I just want you to come to the front so I can pray for you. If that's moving on your heart, you say, you know what, I want to step out of my comfort zone. Just come to the front. Come up front right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.